Having car problems? Well, with Rhoda, getting them fixed is as easy as ordering takeout. They'll come pick up your car for free, do any repair or maintenance needed, and return it right to your driveway. They'll even give you a complimentary video inspection of your car so you can see what needs to be done. Perfect for those of us that maybe aren't so car savvy. Book your appointment online at roda.com. And lucky for you, CityCast listeners get a 20% discount on any service for up to $100 off. Just use the code CityCast20. Today on CityCast DC, I am here with Dan Reed and Priyanka Tilbe, and we are talking about some sobering news. DC has passed a grim homicide milestone this week. We're also on the cusp of a government shutdown in a city where a quarter of the jobs are for Uncle Sam. But it's not all heavy duty. McDonald's, McDonald's is about to start serving mumbo sauce, and we have some thoughts. Today is Friday, September 29th. I'm Michael Schaefer, and here's what DC is talking about. So in the category of news we really didn't want to be discussing, the District of Columbia this week recorded its 200th homicide of the year. It's the earliest the city has hit that number since 1997, which was a time when there were still the effects of the crack wars of the 80s and 90s. The city was uh, cratering population. Portions of the city government had been taken over by the feds. It was uh, considered to be a mismanaged and like very bleak time in the city. We've had this like 25 years of like, woohoo, everything's getting better in Washington. But this number of homicides has uh, been creeping up. It was as low as like 88 in 2012. And now it's gone up and up and up. What's confounding about it is there's not really an answer for like, why is this happening? It, in the 80s, there was like a new drug on the market and basically an economic battle between people involved in selling it about who would get to control the sales. This was not the explanation for all the homicides, but it was sort of an, a, an explanation of something that happened from without that caused this spike. There is much less consensus now in the district and across the country where homicide has gone up. It ticked down in other cities this year, obviously, not in D.C., yeah, and I think that's the part that's like the most confounding to me. I know we've talked about this on the pod before, but like the fact that most other cities in the states have seen a decline in homicide rates since their pandemic peaks and DC hasn't and like no one seems to be able to tell us why. That is pretty alarming. It is a really unwelcome return to the DC I remember growing up. And I imagine it unsettles a lot of folks who thought we had turned the corner. In more ways than one. Well, actually, on that, like both of you were obviously here in the 90s. I was not. And something that I think is really worth noting is that a majority of the homicides this year have been targeted attacks, right? Like it's not like there are a lot of mass shootings happening or I mean, obviously, there are like some stray bullet type situations, but a lot of these homicides are targeted. I'm curious about how that makes you feel from a safety standpoint and also how that compares to what it was like in the 90s. 
I don't think there's ever been a time of like lots and lots and lots of like mass shootings when there's a lot of weapons. You know, that means that some of them are just going to be used for theft kind of crimes, burglary kind of crimes. When things go wrong, sometimes people wind up dead. Um, uh, carjackings has become a much, uh, much bigger thing lately. I don't know. I don't like personally feel, and maybe I'm naive, I don't personally feel especially worried for my own safety. I live west of the park. I live in a neighborhood that has not had a lot of violence. I've got kids. I don't get out that much. So it could be like that. The kind of local political ambiance caused by this, you know, there is mm -hmm. like from the, the Fraternal Order of Police to, you know, various like folks involved in the scrum of city politics, there's this real like, it is the fault of the DC council and they were too woke and they were too into defunding the police. And there's this great certainty of that blame. It is true there was the, the number of police has come way down and there's people who will argue that this actually what this means is that like underserved neighborhoods are also being underserved by like law enforcement, by people who uh, are, are in charge of uh, allegedly uh, keeping the streets safe. This is said with such certainty by critics who when actually I don't think there is like a, a really good handle on the causation here, but it has led to this kind of really noxious tone in a lot of the city political conversation about this. I think it's a, a lot like the homelessness issue, right? The more I think people feel exposed to homelessness, the more visible it is. I, the more I think people were, were open to calling for some really draconian solutions for dealing with unhoused people. And I, I imagine we're potentially going to the same place here. DC, like a couple of years ago, passed this law banning cashless establishments, restaurants or stores that only use, only accept credit. And the idea of this was equity, because not everybody has access to credit cards and so on. And at the time, some of them said, we don't like to have a lot of cash around because of crime and safety. And I don't believe that. I think it was a matter of convenience and a matter of this is sort of where the business model is heading. But that was a kind of an excuse. I wonder whether if that debate were happening today, the law kicks in October 1st, but it was passed a few years ago. I wonder if that debate were happening today, whether that kind of like ambient fear argument would carry more water and would have managed to derail this thing that was being done in the name of equity. And I think that's the kind of like, when there is this sort of civic freakout, it injects this tone of fear and anxiety into politics, which derails all kinds of other things that ostensibly have nothing to do with the homicide rate or policing strategies. Yeah, it's, an, it's entirely vibes-based, right? Like I, I go to the Target at Georgia Avenue and Eastern Avenue and when I went last week, all of the cabinets are locked up. You can't even buy body wash or shampoo without having to get somebody to unlock the cabinet for you. And it just creates this perception that, like, what's happening at this store, right? What is the the fear, real or perceived, that means I can't buy shampoo anymore? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we did an episode about how the giant in Anacostia is also mm -hmm. pulling all of these national brands off the shelves entirely, because like for a while they were locking things up, but now they're just like, no, like it's just not worth keeping these brands here because they're getting stolen. So we're just going to do the safer thing and not even sell them, mm. which is, yeah, just another uh, dramatic development in the way that the city is viewing crime and dealing with it. And it creates this weird dynamic where like local leaders, right, they want to create, they want to instill confidence. They want to like stop the kind of feeling of crisis and say like, our city's great, our city's okay, but whatever it is you're going to say. When 
they say things like that, though, then they can be accused of being clueless mm -hmm. about this dynamic that's out there, even if it is also true that, like, Washington's a wonderful place to live or whatever. <laughs> it's pretty good. Yeah, I feel like especially Charles Allen, the council member that led a lot of these public safety bills over the past few years, has come under fire like so much all over Twitter. And it's an interesting backlash to see. Another part of all this that I thought was really interesting that they highlighted in the Washington Post article about this is that the acting police chief, Pamela Smith, has said that the increase in homicides right now is driven by like, quote, relationships disputes. And some mm. of them are really, really trivial. And like, this I thought was super strange. Like she pointed out that there was this incident in the McDonald's at Fort Need the New where a 16-year-old girl stabbed another like teenage girl. She died. And the whole thing was over an argument over sweet and sour sauce. Again, this is the police are saying this. So that's our one source here. But they're saying that these kinds of disputes are driving the homicide rate up right now. Um, and I'm not really sure how council or the police or the city in general are supposed to do anything about that. But it's also like, I, I kind of don't buy it because like, look, people have been having intensely stupid human fights about incredibly low stakes things since humanity has existed. And presumably people didn't suddenly start, teenagers didn't suddenly start fighting about sweet and sour sauce last year. Sure. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Well, then I guess that brings us right back to not knowing what's causing this, which is possibly even more disconcerting than having an absurd reason for it. We have an episode coming up soon with Alec McGillis, who is from ProPublica, who's done a bunch of reporting about this, including about the role of social media in sort of accelerating what used to be just regular feuds into something that can lead to homicide. There's some pretty gripping stuff about DC in his reporting. When was the last time you went to the theater? Well, we have a new show for you to check out. The Gala Theater in Columbia Heights is showing the political musical comedy Museum in the Closet, Avida's Return, which follows Argentine icon Eva Perón to the afterlife as her preserved corpse ignites political scandals, clandestine affairs, and mysterious murders. The show is full of samba, reggae, and tango that will have you tapping your feet nonstop. The show is in Spanish with English surtitles and will run from May 9th through June 9th. Get your tickets now at galatheater.org or call 202-234-7174. So speaking of like intractable things, the federal government, which represents about uh, 200,000 jobs in DC where there are about 800,000 jobs total, is on the cusp of another shutdown. Republican hardliners are holding up budget, and it seems that uh, this is going to bring the entire process to a stop. This is the kind of thing which in the past, like, DC's government has had to shut down because of the way it is defined. So, like, garbage piled up and whatnot. It's different now, but it's still not something that has no effect at all. Priyanka, you have been looking into this. What should we, the regular locals, even those of us who don't work for Uncle Sam, what should we expect? Yeah. Okay. So there are a bunch of things that are going to be closed. The Smithsonian, for one. Um, it's not fully confirmed, but 
usually in previous shutdowns, the museums that includes the National Zoo and the National Arboretum are going to shut down. So if you've got family or friends being um, in, I guess, the, in the coming weeks, and you're planning to take them out, that is not going to be on your agenda. Um, from a more serious place, federal assistance programs are going to be closed. So anyone in the city receiving federal food aid, they're going to see an immediate reduction in payment. But DC food pantries are doing what they can to prep to fill the gap. And just to be clear, that's something that will also be happening in like Cleveland and Albuquerque and wherever. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, 7 million people across the country are going to stop receiving federal food aid. But yeah, it, it puts an extra burden on the local communities to fill in those gaps. And actually in D.C., that also affects unemployment services. Um, and here that's an extra dire situation compared to other cities because you file for unemployment where you work, not where you live. So all of the federal employees who live in Maryland and Virginia, if they're furloughed, they're also going to be filing for unemployment in D.C., which means that that office is going to be inundated. It's going to be likely overwhelmed, even though they're already trying to prep for it. And so other people who are unemployed, not furloughed, not going to get back pay when the government comes back, this could affect how and when they get their payments. Wait, how does this work? Like the feds have been, uh, as of a few years ago, they are guaranteed back pay after a government shutdown. Yeah. But if they're laid off, it doesn't help if you're going to make the mortgage like next week. Yeah. And they are eligible for, you're saying they're eligible for unemployment. Do they have to then pay it back if they, when they get their back pay? How does that work? Yeah, that, that part I was looking into couldn't find a clear answer. I'm assuming that it kind of all gets sorted out when they're doing taxes and stuff like that mm. at the end of the at the end of the year or in April rather but in the short term it does make things very confusing and murky and again for people who are not working for the federal government and receiving unemployment services this could affect them as well and then back to things that are being closed. You can't get married. Marriage ceremonies and licenses are not considered essential. But strangely, <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm sorry, Dan. But shockingly, you can get divorced. So that's a pretty interesting choice that they've made. No, no, I think that's I think that the, the adjudication of divorces often involves people in like high risk, vulnerable situations, yeah. like an abusive uh, setup. That's a fair point. So on. So that's the reason they keep that open. I had not thought about um, that. That's it would fair. be pretty funny, though, as a city that gets uh, trashed by right wingers yeah. for uh, allegedly <laughs> bad family values. If we were making that choice just simply because we thought divorce was cooler than marriage. <laughs> yeah. Or more imminent. Um as for what is staying open, like Mike, you said, um, city services are still operating, which thank goodness for that. So trash pickup still happens. Mail services remain undisturbed. Um, if you park illegally, you can still get fined for that, still get ticketed for that. So keep all of that in mind. Also, it means that libraries, rec centers and public transportation are all still operational. So yeah, thank goodness for that as well. While the monuments and memorials are closed, the national parks are open. So uh, like Rock Creek Park is open. The National Mall hopefully should be. And DC, like the city government has said that they're going to help with trying to maintain, make sure that trash pickup still happens on the National Mall, which the feds typically take care of. And you can still check out a bunch of DC's like private museums, like the National Museum of Women and the Arts, which is supposed to open up in late October. Hopefully we're not still shut down at that point, but if we are, you can go check it out. 
or the National Building Museum. Of course, some of these, like the Phillips Collection and the Spy Museum, do have fees that you have to pay to enter. So take that with a grain of salt. If I could just tout. So in my column in Blico this week, I wrote about something that's sort of shut down adjacent, which is the last shutdown was five weeks, in, uh, end of 2018, beginning of 2019. And at the end of it, the city's chief financial officer calculated that D.C. had lost $50 million in tax revenue. The, the federal workers, obviously, they all got paid back, but that was money they weren't spending when they went out to lunch or parked their cars or stayed after work to go to a hockey game or, or whatever. So I called around to like people who study the city economy and said, well, what do we expect this time as, a, as an economic consequence to the city? And basically got a lot of shrugs that, that all of that stuff, the lunches and the parking and the going out to shop and by workers who will suddenly be at home, that's already not happening because those workers are already at home. So I think the, the shutdown is going to look different from a local point of view than uh, previous ones, because those folks have you know, already working from home, many of their homes in the burbs. Obviously, the impact on like the citizens who re rely on the services that the federal government provides, that's the same. But, you know, it's weird. The city, there used to be, that when the shutdown would happen, it'd be like, wow, I can find a seat in the metro and, and that kind of stuff. But that's already happening. And there's a kind of, I don't know, it makes me kind of sad that the city has already lost so much like bustle and energy as a result of the new way we work. But it is going to make the, sh the shutdown feel less jarring to people who aren't participating in it. That's a really good point. As uh, someone who has never worked for the federal government, it's always been super eerie going downtown the first day of the sequester and there's there's nobody around. So I am, you know, curious when I go back into work next week or possibly week after, like, will it feel different? I work in Navy Yard, so that's, that's where DOT and a bunch of other big federal agencies are. And it's already kind of busy a little bit, you know, for other Navy Yard-related reasons. So we'll see. Well... If a lot of federal workers aren't working, maybe there'll be shorter lines at McDonald's. <laughs> <laughs> or longer ones. Or maybe there'll be longer ones because as of October, McDonald's, this uh, national burger chain you may have heard of, will be serving a DC delicacy mumbo sauce. It'll be one of your dipping sauce options for your McNuggets or whatever else you want. How on earth did they get mumbo sauce at Mickey D's? So... McDonald's is known for having their different promotional sauces, right? They're chef of menu innovation, and a local D.C.-based chef named Jerome Grant visited the city's many carryouts where mumbo sauce is typically found to develop McDonald's' own version. They say it's a little more of a kick than, than our mumbo sauce. It's, like, a little more spicy. Wait, so are they doing this everywhere across the country, or is the mumbo sauce only for uh, the D.C. diaspora? This will be at participating restaurants for a limited time starting October 9th. I think the one thing that surprised me the most about this is, like, I've always perceived mumbo sauce as, like, a D.C. thing, right? Uh, but it's also a Chicago thing, and the introduction of the new mumbo sauce is actually tied to a documentary about how mumbo sauce comes from D.C. and Chicago, where, of course, McDonald's is originally from. In fact, the trademark for mumbo sauce, not to be confused with mambo sauce, which is sometimes how it's pronounced, is actually owned by a Chicago-based company. Though their version is more of like marinade. Yeah. Which, yeah, so you like, I guess you would put it on wings, not dip it. I don't know. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. This almost makes me want to have our CityCast Chicago 
friends on and like have a battle for the mumbo sauce because when I I didn't know that mumbo sauce was a thing in Chicago I went to college out there but I'd never heard anyone talk about this and it like I don't know summons up some sort of like weird city patriotism thing in me that they own the trademark just feels wrong yeah, for, for such a long time, I think people sort of maligned D.C. as not having a food culture. And this was one of the, I think, things people could champion, though not necessarily universal. A couple of years ago, Mayor Bowser got in uh, some hot water for posting on Facebook, is anyone else annoyed by mumbo sauce? I wish people would stop suggesting that it is quintessential D.C. I'm just saying I was a full-grown woman before I'd even heard of it. I mean, I haven't had a ton of experience with mumbo sauce myself, but I find that kind of hard to believe, honestly. Yeah. That she had never heard of it? Yeah. I mean, look at I think that this, like, just the amount of, like, words we say about food in the world mm -hmm. has increased so much. And there's this sort of artisanization of everything. And, like, what? You're from Washington and you've never heard of mumbo sauce? I think, like, you know, before the mayor was a full-grown adult woman, you could just live your life and eat your PB&J sandwiches or whatever she liked <laughs> and just not encounter a lot of conversation about food. And it's just this idea that we have to have like strong opinions on like whatever local culture, local culinary culture there is, is a relatively, I mean, it, there was always some people who felt that mm -hmm. way, but it, it has become much more popular in the last couple decades. And the notion of like, you know, a fast food chain trying to like come up with a cute promotion by adopting some hyper-regional cuisine. I'm sure mumbo sauce is not the only thing that McDonald's is adding to menus at participating restaurants. You know, are they finding the, the mumbo sauce of like <laughs> Oklahoma City or, or Albuquerque or, or Columbus, Ohio? This is a, a lot like the Nashville hot chicken craze, right? Which is itself kind of a constructed local food. Like it isn't, it wasn't even historically a big thing in Nashville until fairly mm, recently. Yeah, I guess so. I will say I am kind of excited that the McDonald's version is going to be spicier and like, because the mumbo mm -hmm. version, like the DC mumbo sauce is too barbecue-ish for me. So is McDonald's saying that DC are wimps, that they can't take spice? I mean, I love barbecue sauce, so I'm I'm here for anything barbecue sauce adjacent. I will say the McDonald's promotional sauce I am looking for is the return of Szechuan sauce. Mm. I distinctly remember being 10. This is in 1998. My mom used to work near 14th and U, and her uh, her work friend took me to lunch at the 14th and U McDonald's to have chicken nuggets with Szechuan sauce. I still remember walking down a largely bombed out U Street to have it. And yeah, there is something like deeply nostalgic about that for me. Ironically, more so than mumbo sauce. That is funny. I also, I don't know, I think it's kind of cool that DC doesn't have to have like a... Like if you live in Philly, you have to have like strong opinions about what cheesesteak is your favorite and stuff. And, and I, I lived in Philly. I didn't care. I'm really like, I think it's actually just fine that we don't have to like have strong opinions about what the proper formulation of mumbo sauce is. <laughs> yeah. The one thing that we don't have strong opinions on. We need a break. Exactly. All right. Well, Priyanka, Dan, awesome to be with you guys. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah, thanks for having me. And that is all for today here on CityCast DC. Our lead producer is Priyanka Tilvey. Our producer is Julia Karen. Our newsletter writer is Kayla Cote-Stemmerman. Our production assistant is Susanna Brown. And our hosts are Bridget Todd and me, Michael Schaefer from Politico. Music is by Alex Roldan. If you enjoyed the show, why not tell a friend, rate the show, leave us a review, and subscribe to our morning newsletter. The feds may not be, but we will be back Monday morning with more news from around the city. Bye. Blech. <laughs> we shake it out. Yeah. <laughs>